we're going to study John chapter 9. We're going a couple of weeks back if you have the Encounter Jesus journal. It's, it's a couple of weeks back. We're going to pick up that lesson from John chapter 9. If you want to turn in the Bible, we're going to read the first seven verses and then we're going to pray together. John 9 verses 1 through 7. All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must Work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is. We pray, God, that it would just fill our hearts and our minds and that we would respond to your truth and your word with obedience, with hearts of love and obedience for you. God, be honored. Teach us today. Lead us. We praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, be seated. All right, just, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in this area of Scripture, so I want to go back and talk about how chapter 8 ended. I don't know if you guys remember, but in chapter 8, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they are spiritually dead and children of the devil. Do you remember that? In chapter 8, and they accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. I don't know if you guys remember that. And Jesus says to them, Abraham rejoiced in my coming. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say Abraham rejoiced in your coming? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Remember that? Jesus is saying, what? He's saying, I am God. He's telling them, I am the Messiah. And of course, they were furious. They were livid. They were angry. And it says in chapter 8 that they took up stones to kill him. And then it says, and Jesus passed through their midst. Where did he go? Where did he go? When you look up the actual translation, it, it says that he passed through undetected. Uh, or he passed through, uh, the idea is that, that he passed through and was not seen. So we don't know what kind of supernatural thing happened. All we know is that Jesus was saying, this is not my time. This is not my time yet. And then the very next thing that we see in chapter 9 is that Jesus encounters this blind beggar. But even though Jesus just escaped a stoning, he took time 
to minister to this man. It's quite amazing. You know, when I think about this beggar, this blind man, I think, what must it have been like for him? You know, he, he was born blind, so he was impoverished. He was poor. He was a beggar. He was probably looked down on and often abused. He would have been waiting at the, the, the gate to the temple or the synagogue. He would have been in a place of gathering why? So that he could get the attention of people and hopefully get money. That was the only way that he had to survive was to beg for money. So, of course, he would have been where the crowd was, right? And that's where he was. And I wonder what it was like for him. If people went by, did they ignore him? Did they kick him? Did they spit on him? Did they give him money? How did they treat this man? What was his experience? Uh, you know, I, you always hear that people who have disabilities uh, compensate for those disabilities with heightened senses. Their other senses are heightened. So I imagine that here's this man who's blind and his hearing must have been very acute. He must have been able to hear really well. And, and then you see Jesus and the disciples are walking by and he hears this conversation where the disciples ask Jesus, hey, what about this guy? Why is he blind, Lord? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin? I wonder what that was like for him. You know, sometimes as believers, I think we fall into the trap of looking for reasons why people are struggling, talking about people struggling, but never doing anything. Never praying for them never reaching out to help them. Somehow we think that talking about it is enough. Philosophizing is enough. Pointing out their faults. Maybe that's enough. So here are the disciples debating his issues, but not offering to help. Who sinned? His parents? Or was it the baby in the womb? That sin. That's what they were asking. What happened? Who's to blame? How can we sum this up? Jesus, how can we put this in a box so that we can understand it? Let's philosophize about it. But Jesus said, the circumstances in this man's life is an opportunity for me to do work. That's what he said. He said, this is going on in this man's life so that I can do something in him. And I want to tell you that every circumstance that you have in your life today, every negative thing, every challenge is an opportunity for God to work in your life. To do something miraculous or to do something in your character to do something in your family, to do something. It's an opportunity for God to work. And that's what Jesus was saying was going on here. There were circumstances in this man's life. You know, a lot of times we are looking to find out, you know, why is that person struggling? Did they sin? Did they do something wrong? Should I help them? If, they, if it's their own fault, do I need to help them? That wasn't Jesus' response. His response was to help and to move in this man's life. 
Um, do you feel like you have needs in your life this morning? Do you have something going on where you need Jesus to move in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job, in your finances, in your health, in your future, in your attitude? Did you just wake up this morning with a stinky attitude? <laughs> that never happens. Well, I have some good news for you. God wants to do a work in your life. What the enemy means for evil, God will use for your good. We see this principle throughout scripture that what the enemy means for evil or what somebody else might do to you to harm you, God will use for your good. We know Romans 8, 28, and we quote that scripture all the time, right? That he works all things together for our good. We believe that, but did you know that principle is all throughout the word of God? I mean, I think of the story of Joseph, right, in Genesis, you guys remember the story of Joseph where his brothers hated him and they took him, they took him captive, they sold him into slavery. Joseph went through a series of all kinds of trials, including being falsely accused of a crime and being put in prison for years. And he trusted God and God delivered him in a mighty way. After years of trusting God, God put him in a place of authority and power. And pretty soon, Joseph had power over the lives of his brothers and could have brought certain death to them. But instead, he confronted them with the fact that God had a bigger plan. And that's true in your life. Everything that you're going through, God will use, can use for your good if you trust him. Let's look at the scripture from Genesis chapter 50, um, uh, verses 19 through 21. It says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, I am, in the, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Man, Joseph had a right to be angry. He had a right to be bitter. He had a right to get revenge. His brothers deserved it. But he didn't take that right. He laid it down. Why? Because he wanted to honor God. He wanted to love God and he trusted him. And God completely transformed Joseph's life. And then Joseph transformed the lives of his brothers by forgiving them. Joseph was free physically, spiritually, emotionally, and he freed them from guilt. It was a supernatural work of God. So what the enemy or others mean for your hurt, God can use for your good. Are you walking around in physical, spiritual, and emotional freedom because you're trusting God? Or are you struggling under a burden of resentment, a burden of bitterness and fear? I want to tell you that God is working a unique story in your life. He's writing a unique story. Remember that he sees you, he loves you, and he's with you.
Look at verse 6, 7, verses 6 and 7 back in John chapter 9. That's where Jesus took uh, some of his saliva and he made mud and he put it on uh, the man's eyes. That was a unique way to heal that man. Jesus healed people in many different ways. Why did he do it this way? Why this man? Why that day? Why in that way? The truth is, that man had sat there for days. Jesus knew the right time, and he took the time, and he ministered to that man in the way that would best benefit the man. Not only did he make mud and put it on his eyes, but then Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Why did he do that? Why couldn't he have just said the word and the man is healed? Because we know he did that for other people. In John chapter 4, he did that for the nobleman's son. In John chapter 5, he did it for the invalid. He just spoke the word, the man was healed. In John chapter 11, he told Lazarus to come forth. By the word of his mouth, a man was raised from the dead. Why didn't he do that here? He certainly could have. He certainly could have done it that way, but he didn't because he knows what's best for that man. I want to tell you something. God has a unique work to do in your life. It's not going to look just like somebody else's. It doesn't have to, and it's not supposed to. We don't have to compare our lives to someone else. We don't have to think that their blessing should be our blessing or that our lesson should be their lesson. We can trust God. He's good. He sees you. He loves you. He knows you. You know, God speaks differently to each one of us as well. I think about the direct way he spoke to the woman at the well. Remember her? He said, you've had a lot of husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. Remember the compassionate way he spoke to the woman caught in adultery that was thrown down in front of him. Remember the loving and yet sometimes corrective way he spoke to his disciples who just couldn't get it right. Do you remember the harsh way he spoke to the Pharisees? And the way he taught the crowd at the feeding of the 5,000, how he taught them tenderly and then confronted them with the fact that they were following him for the wrong reasons. It was the same love in every situation. It was the same truth, but it was delivered in different ways. Why? Because he wants to reach the heart of the person that is listening and the person that's receiving. I want to tell you, when you are receiving from the Lord, it will be unique. It's a unique story. It's individual just for you. Remember that God is the author of your story. You're not the author. The world may tell you that you did it your way, you're supposed to do it your way, but the truth is, is that God is the author. We're not writing an autobiography. He's writing a story we get to partner with him and cooperate with him. That's very different, right? It's a different way of looking at our life. It's a different way of seeking answers. It's a different way of, of, of moving ahead in our lives. Sometimes we don't always understand or appreciate the twists in the plot of the story that God is writing. We don't get it. 
We think he should have done it this way or that way. We want him to do it our way. We want him to do it like he did it for somebody else. But God says, no, I know the best way for you. I know the path that you're supposed to be on. I think of a story uh, that my wife loves, and every year at Christmas time, she wants to watch this movie called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And uh, she is a, a literature person, so she, it's about Charles Dickens, and she loves Charles Dickens, and so I watch it with her every year, and I get points every time I do that. <laughs> and um, I don't know when I get to like finally cash the points in, but one of these days. Um, <clears throat> So anyway, it's a great movie. But we watch it, and what's funny about it is as he's writing the story, A Christmas Carol, the way the movie does it is in his mind, these characters come to life. And these characters begin to have conversations with him, even outside of the story. And the characters start demanding the way they want the story to go and arguing with him and being contrary and everything else. And to an extent, I feel like that's how we act with God when he's writing our story. We begin to tell him how it's supposed to go as though we know. And of course, we don't know. He knows the beginning from the end. He has a plan for you that is so much better than anything you could possibly dream up. We can trust him with that stuff because he's a good, good God. And I don't know where you are in your story or whether you're at a place right now, you're at a chapter or a page, where you're like, hey man, my story rocks. I love the story God is writing. Or maybe you're at a place where you're like, I want this chapter to end. I'm ready for it to be over. <laughs> Wherever you're at in your story, I want you to know that God is not finished. He's not finished with it. He has something for you, something new. He has something to teach you. He has something to communicate with you, something that he desires for you to know, something he wants to complete in your life. Look at verses 8 through 11 of chapter 9. It says, uh, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. What's interesting about this is it's like the story is so unfinished. There are so many answers here that, that, that aren't there, so many questions that don't have answers. The man didn't know, and he didn't pretend to know. He just said, I don't know, but what I do know is this, right? And we think we have to have all the answers for our life. We want to know all the time, and when we don't know, we're demanding God, tell us the answer. God, what's the next sentence in our story? What's the next page? What's the next chapter? How does the book end? God is saying, Trust me, it's not over. I'm not done. I'm not done with the story. So these people could tell that there was a change, and the man himself could tell that there was a change. But he just didn't know what exactly was happening. You know, I, I feel like I want to tell this man at this point in the story, hey, brother, hold on, because... 
Something bad's really, it's about to happen. Because it is. In this passage, this man doesn't know it yet, but he's about to be excommunicated from the synagogue. Because Jesus healed him, which is a good thing, something seemingly bad is about to happen. That's the way life is. I want to tell you right now, every time we read a story in the Bible, we crazy Westerners think this. Oh, he got healed. Oh, and he lived happily ever after. And we think that's the end of every story. Every story is a fairy tale. But that's not true. If you read the Bible, if you're a student of the Bible at all, what you realize is that every story, there are challenges in every person's life. And even with the good things that happened in the Old Testament or the good things that happened in the New Testament, they faced trials. And God was with them every step of the way. And I want to tell you, it's no different for us. God can do something amazing in your life, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have to trust him and hold on to him for all you're worth tomorrow. That's what he wants. He wants us to be dependent on him and to love him and to have that relationship where day by day by day, we know him. I want to tell you that the Christian life is not about one grand happening. Once you encounter Jesus, which is the initial thing that must happen, it's not about you doing one great thing for God in your life. It's not like that. The Christian life is full of thousands of little things. Thousands of little decisions every day where you just decide, God, I love you more than I love me. I choose you over me at this instant. Right? And those decisions make a lifetime of loving Jesus and hearing from him and walking with him. And he wants to speak to us day by day and have that relationship with us. Jesus isn't done working in your life. And that first step, like I said, is an encounter with Jesus. You have to recognize your need for him. You have to surrender your life to Jesus. And from then, you're reconciled with God and it's day by day a relationship begins. You might say, well, what if I make a mistake, Pastor Jim? You will. What if I get myself into a mess and mess things up? Probably that will happen. The good news is, is that God still cares for you and God forgives you and God will help you out of your mess. God loves you. He is not finished with your story. Remember, it's not about your perfection. It's about your pursuit of God. What's interesting in this story is this man didn't pursue Jesus. Jesus came to him. Many stories in the New Testament, people are calling out for Jesus. That's not the case here. Jesus pursued him, ministered to him, and then later we're gonna see this man gives his life to Jesus. But our lives are not about us being perfect, it's about us pursuing God, following after him. And we're not supposed to think of ourselves as perfect and we're not supposed to think of other people as perfect. You can't put that standard on other people because when you do and you start thinking about how they should live their lives and trying to get the speck out of their eye, it becomes a problem for you because you're not perfect either. See, then you become like the Pharisees 
who have all kinds of rules that everybody else is supposed to obey, but you don't have to. We don't want to live our Christian life like that. So we recognize that everyone is a human being, everyone struggles, but all believers should be pursuing God, and they walk in forgiveness, and they're being changed and transformed day by day, just like you are. And we should see the fruit of that transformation occurring in their life. So I wanna tell you, you're different. You're being transformed, and so is your brother and sister. Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if any was in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is this saying? It's saying that in Christ, there's a transformation that occurs where the old man is dead, and now we, we walk in, in new life. Not perfection, but new life. We're new. We're made new because of God. His, his mercy and grace have been poured out in our life, and not just for us, but for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at this same verse in the NLT. It, it's, I love the way it's translated. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We don't have to look at people and think they are just what they used to be. We don't have to look at someone who just made a mistake and think they will never change. We should never think that about people who know Jesus. We shouldn't look at our own kids and think, this person, this kid will never learn. I give up on them. They're a lost cause. I want to tell you something. You're not you're, you are not parenting like a Christian should parent. If those things are coming out of your mouth, what it shows is that you have an issue in your heart. The truth is, is we get the opportunity to extend grace and mercy to people, to love them and to pray for them. And when you see something in somebody's life that it does not line up with the word of God, we're supposed to take it to Jesus in prayer privately and pray for them. And if he lays it on your heart to talk to someone, it needs to be out of a heart of love to help. Do you guys have any New Year's resolutions? Some of you said no earlier, I saw that. Some of you said no. I wanna tell you that uh, I, I like New Year's resolutions personally. I know sometimes we think, well, we just break them anyway, so what's the point? Well, it's a new day, it's a new year. And my question for you is, what does the author of your story want you to focus on this year? What does he have for you this year? I'm not talking about you making a bunch of plans professionally, socially, spiritually, physically. You come up with all your plans, okay, whatever. And then you ask God to bless it, right? That's what we do sometimes. I'm talking about going to God and saying, God, what do you have for me this year? What do you want me to concentrate on? Is there something you want me to give up? Is there something you want me to add? Is there something you have for me, something you want to say to me? God wants to be involved in our life. He is writing that unique story. And this is what I'm learning to do right now. I don't have this figured out. 
but if God is the author of my story and he's writing a unique one uh, and it's not finished yet, then that means I have to live my life with my hands open. I can't hold on to anything and think it's mine or think that God can't move it or change it or take it away. I have to be able to live my life like this, meaning my family, right, my children, my job, my stuff, my health, everything in my life, where I serve and go to church, it's right here, it's all in his hands. And so I have to hold it in my hands with them open. I can't clench onto them like, it's mine, you don't have a right, God. I have to say, God, what, what do you want to do? Is there a relationship in my life that you want to be like, you know, that needs to change? Do you want me to serve in a different ministry? God, do you want me to change jobs? Do you want me to stay in this job even though I can't stand it? Do you want me to stay in that position, doing that same? God, is that okay? God, if that's what you want, I will serve you with my hands open because we can trust him. God is the author and it's okay. He wants us to live in partnership and listen to his voice and his word and in prayer to be teachable and to walk in humility. One of the biggest things I'm trying to learn right now is in my prayer time is to listen and to be silent before the Lord. I love to bring requests to God. I have no problem with that. Some people are like, I feel bad bringing requests to God. I don't. I just bring, I bring them to him all the time and I have no problem. In fact, I'm dependent on him with my requests. But where I struggle sometimes is just being silent. Just being like, okay, God, I'm not gonna think about everything I have to do. I'm gonna get my phone away from me, no tasks. And I'm just gonna sit before you with the word and allow you to speak to me. I struggle with that. Why? Because I, I'm a doer and I feel like I need to do and get stuff done. And I feel like even God is always wanting me to do, do, do. But that's not true, true, true. It's actually that God wants to speak to my heart. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants you to, to know his voice and to learn to understand what he's telling you. Did you know that your story is meant to be shared? Your story is meant to be shared. Did you notice how this man shared his story almost immediately? He began telling what Jesus had done in his life. Um, let's, I'm going to read this passage, and I know it's a lot, but would you follow along with me? John chapter 9, starting in verse 13. We're just going to read the word. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. 
The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. It's an amazing passage of scripture. I want to talk just about a few of these things really quickly. First of all, the Pharisees, you guys know this. When it says the Jews in the New Testament, most often it's referring to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious sect, and this, they were separatists. In fact, the word Pharisee means separate. And what they did is they felt that the church, the believers, the Jews, should be separate from all other nations. They wanted the, the Jewish religion to be protected from paganism. And so they took the law and they wrote a bunch of man-made laws around that law to protect it. So in other words, they wrote laws to help man obey God's laws. The problem is, is they literally wrote hundreds of laws, for example, about the Sabbath. One of their major jobs was to protect the Sabbath. And we know that God wanted them to honor the Sabbath. He says, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, because it was a day to worship the Lord. But he never intended for man to take his commandment, write a bunch of man-made commandments around it that were so stringent that man could never honor it. But that's exactly what happened. So when the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath or violating the Sabbath, Jesus didn't violate God's law. He violated their law, man's law, and they were angry. Why were they angry? Because they were in power. And I want to tell you that that's what religion does. Religion seeks to set itself up in power and hold sway over the common people. 
And the idea was that they were in power, the common people could never achieve their holiness, and therefore the Pharisees took the laws that they made, and they made them so stringent that man could never honor it. So man had to try to honor these laws, but the Pharisees didn't have to. They were above it. That's called hypocrisy. Jesus detested the way that the Pharisees acted and treated people. And that's why in chapter 8, he said that they were of their father, the devil, right? So the Pharisees are mad at Jesus. They're, they're furious with him for breaking the Sabbath, all right? So uh, that's really their main argument about this. They don't care that the guy was healed. They don't care that he, he's now seeing. He's been blind since birth. They don't think that's miraculous or remarkable at all. It's just that the, the Sabbath has been violated. So they don't care about the person, only the rule, all right? Now, what's interesting is the Pharisees asked the man, what do you say about him? Or in other words, do you know who he is? Why? Because they're concerned that this man thinks he's the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, and they don't want that, so they're trying to find out what this man thinks. And he says in verse 17, Jesus is a prophet. That's his understanding. And then in verse 24 and 25, they challenge him again. They say, give glory to God, which means tell the truth. Who is he? The man says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know is I once was blind, now I can see. So now he says, this man's a healer. He's a prophet and he's a healer. Then in verse 30 to 33, it says this. The man says, this is amazing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet nobody's ever heard of, of somebody healing somebody's blind eyes before. You know what he's thinking? He's thinking about the scripture where it talks about in the Old Testament, the Messiah. The Messiah would make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead come to life. It's starting to dawn on this man who Jesus may be. So we finally see in verse 38 that he recognizes Christ as Savior and he worships him. So this is progression of understanding who Jesus is. There's a deepening. Almost the more he shares, the more it works out in him how much he loves Jesus and who he is. Sometimes I think that happens with us as we share our faith in Jesus we tell people what Jesus has done in our lives. It just gets deeper and deeper. Do you tell people what Jesus has done in your life? Do you share your story? You have one. And it doesn't have to be this big theological thing dripping in scripture, oozing doctrine. You don't have to be Charles Spurgeon to share your story. Now I know we don't live our lives based on experience. We live our lives on the truth of God's word. But the fact is you have an experience. Jesus changed your life. He did something in your life. And in every story in the New Testament, what we see are people sharing what Jesus did in their life. Who are you sharing it with? Your personal testimony is powerful. I want to encourage you to share it. But just like with this man, 
there's a chance that when you do, you could encounter some opposition. Maybe from family, maybe even within the church or from the world. And I think it's because anytime we believe in something really strongly, it, it causes a stirring in other people because it challenges them on the way they live their life. It challenges them on, on the way they think and what they're doing and what their eternal destiny looks like. And I can give you an example of how this works in everyday life, not just in our Christian life. Uh, my wife and I met when I was 18. I know, that was like four years ago. And um, <laughs> my wife and I met uh, we've been married for 37 years now, and uh, when we met, we were in college, and uh, I took her home to meet my family, and my, I have a really close-knit group of siblings. I'm the youngest of six kids, and I thought, man, they're going to love her just like I love her, but what happened was this weird reaction that I wasn't anticipating, and that was that they kind of resisted her. They didn't really like her at first because she was changing the way that Jimmy, which is what they call me, she changed the way Jimmy acted, thought, the things I wanted to do, how much time I would spend with them, the places I wanted to go, the decisions I was making. She changed it. Why? Because she meant something to me, and I was so head over heels for her that it was, everything was about her. And they weren't used to that. They were used to me making everything about them. So what happened? It caused this weird tension, and I had to come to, uh, to, up to a decision. Well, am I going to get rid of my girlfriend, who I really like, or am I going to just put up with my stinky family? <laughs> right? I love my family. And I, I obviously chose my wife. Why? My girlfriend at the time. Because I loved her. And it was worth it to me to go through that period of awkwardness until they got used to her, and now they love her. They love her more than they love me. <laughs> they love her. But there was a, a moment in there when it was hard. Some decisions had to be made. And you know, it's like that in our Christian life, only it's deeper than that. It's deeper and more important. The stakes are higher. Because this is your eternal destiny, Jesus loves you. He gave everything for you. You've given your life to him. And as you share your testimony, people will react. Some will think it's a beautiful fragrance. And some will not want to smell what you're putting out there. But is it worth it? Is it worth it for you to share what Jesus has done and, and allow them to have the time to, and, and, the, and for the Holy Spirit to work in their life to make that adjustment, I think it is worth it. It is worth it. And you know what? Even if you end up being persecuted, if they never change the way they think, if they treat you badly, if they, if they hate everything about you, the Bible says you're blessed if you're persecuted for the sake of Christ. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen.
very quickly, I want to tell you the overriding theme for this whole chapter is found in verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. What is he saying? He's saying, when I came to this world, when I died on the cross, when I rose again, my gospel message is going to polarize people. There will be people who recognize that they are blind, they need to see. And there are people who think that they can see who are actually blind. This morning, I want to ask you, do you recognize your need to be healed? Do you recognize in yourself a spiritual blindness? Have you, first of all, given your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Because that is the first step, and you can do that this morning. That's a crucial step. And then after you have done that, are you walking in that spiritual sight? Do you walk in relationship with him? Are you walking in the spirit, or are you not allowing God to be the author of your story? Because that's how he designed it. He wants to walk with you, he wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. And remember, he is not done with your story. He's not done, you can trust him. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and pray with me? Father, I, I come to you with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I thank you, Father, that they're here. I believe that we're here for a reason. And I pray, God, for anyone here who may not know you. I pray, Father, that they would listen to your spirit as you call them, as you pull them and draw them to yourself. And that they would make a decision to step out on that bridge, God, to step out and trust you, to give their lives to you. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who may be struggling, who may be walking, not in a sense of victory and trust with their hands open, but maybe sitting here today battling, just clenching on to things, bitterness and resentment from the past or things that you've given them that they don't wanna let go or whatever it is, Father, I just pray that you would fill them right now with your spirit, that we would be able to trust you and we would open our hands, knowing God that if you remove something, that we can trust you to put something that's needed there. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna ask you if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, to give your life to him, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now, so I'm gonna ask you just to lift your hand up. If you're saying, Pastor Jim, I need to know Jesus, I wanna pray, I wanna make that decision to know him this morning, would you lift your hand? Let me pray with you. Is there anybody here? Is there anybody here this morning? I see your hand right here, thank you. 
Is there anybody here this morning who says, I'm a believer? Pastor Jim, I need prayer. I want to start this new year out differently. I really want my life on track with God. I want to trust him. Would you lift your hand up? Is there any believer here that says, that's me today, Pastor Jim? I see your hands. I see your hands. Praise the Lord. Thank you. This morning we're going to do something. We're going to ask the follow-up team to come up. And, and I'm going to ask you guys, we're going to stand and, and sing a song. And uh, I want to ask you guys to just come forward for prayer. If you raised your hand that you want prayer, please come up and be prayed for. And uh, whether it's to receive Christ or whether it's just for encouragement uh, to stay on track with God. All right, let's stand together. We're going to sing a song. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, God. I pray that you would give them courage now to come forth for prayer. Bless their lives, Lord. Move in a powerful way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, God. We love you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present. We thank you, Father, that you have the power to touch, to heal, to restore, and we trust you. God, we need you to empower us each and every day to live our lives focused and centered on you. Bless my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen.